0: So the reading today is from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 43. If you want to follow it in the um, pew Bibles from the benches in front of you, it's on page 1039, and it's also up on the screen. The Transfiguration. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure Sorry uh, Yep," which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud A voice came from the cloud saying This is my son whom I have chosen Listen to him When the voice had spoken they found that Jesus was alone The disciples kept this to themselves And did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen The next day when they came down from the mountain A large crowd met him A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions, so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Um, Neil, welcome. Um, now, some of you will be very familiar um, with Neil O'Boyle, who's been um, linked to the church for I uh, hear 30 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, That's... this year terrifying isn't it -hmm. i'm not sure you look old enough to be linked to the church well thanks uh, no
2: i was so i started here as a youth pastor at 21 so uh, yeah yeah and we discovered that you weren't even born then i wasn't no it made me feel great (laughs) (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Um, i'm just gonna ask you a couple of questions to um introduce you to the congregation for those of us who haven't been here for 30 years or haven't even been alive for 30 years Mm -hmm. um and also just to remind people who um who don't know you as well, sure. um, of who you are. Is that all right? So tell me a little bit about your history with St. John's. Um, 30 years, you started here as youth mm-hmm. pastor, yeah. and then what?
2: Yeah, so I, I uh, was invited here by Jonathan Wilmot, Charles... Oh, what's Charles? Trefusis, there we go. Uh, to come and be the uh, youth pastor here. And uh, there wasn't any youth work here at the time, or, or was uh, a little bit to be developed. And then also to pioneer Greenwich Youth for Christ.
1: And um, tell me about Youth for Christ. What is Youth Mm. for Christ? What do Mm -hmm. you do? um, Mm -hmm. And what do you do with Youth for Christ?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Youth for Christ is an international organization. It's all around the world in 100 nations or more, started by Billy Graham here in Britain. Uh, We're evangelistic. We believe that uh, every young person should have an opportunity to hear about Jesus and have the decision moment for themselves to choose if they want to follow him. So we're about seeing young people's lives changed by Jesus.
1: That's awesome. Love that. And what do you do with Youth for Christ?
2: So, uh, I've had many roles, but my role right now is as the National Director, so I lead British Youth for Christ.
1: Marvellous. Well, mm-hmm. it's a joy to support Thanks. you support you, support you, for Christ, and I'm really excited to hear what you have to say this morning. May I pray for you yeah, before please, you begin? Please. Father, we thank you for Neil. We thank you for all that he carries, for all that you have made him to be. And as he brings your word to us this morning, I ask that you would speak through him and speak to him. Um, may we be blessed by his words may we meet with you um, and may all that he gives out this morning be given back to him in abundance in jesus name we pray amen
2: amen to you thank you wow what a delight to be here how do you feel if i rearrange the place is that is a thank you well, I'm already breaking it, so that's that's why. No, you're fine. That's why I ask, though, because I sometimes get into trouble for moving things. But thank you, you're very kind. Uh, so we've just looked at a passage which uh, we all know well. And when you read this passage, there is so much going on within it, but you can't help but recognise it's connected to another story, a story that happened probably about two thousand years before that, when Moses goes up a mountain himself. And so there are similarities here at play. You've got two mountains, right? Straight off that's obvious you've got Moses who appears in both of those you've got the glory of God the cloud that appears you've got the reference to six days that happen in both texts you have um, uh, 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 that both people take people up with them Jesus takes Peter James and John and uh, uh, Moses takes Joshua up with him you have the dwelling place of God that's talked about you have the appearance that changes so with Moses his face radiates and is so bright with Jesus is got like this personal unbelievable shirt on that just glows and shines and then after that they come down and they both return into chaos for Moses it's the whole thing with the calf the golden calf for Jesus it's the demon-possessed boy and all that's going on there and there's literally a mountaintop experience that's happened with a powerful encounter with God that's taken place And when we read passages like this, we can't help but think, well, yes, that's the historical nature of the Bible. That was for then, not now. And I would challenge that viewpoint and say, actually, I think we are invited to have such encounters with God in the now. And what makes both of these passages super interesting is what happens before it. So we didn't look at that text, but in both cases, in the case with Moses, the law is talked about, what it means to be a Hebrew, what it means to follow and be a child of God and all the, all the kind of laws and, and requirements the cost with Jesus just before he goes up the mountains. He says, listen, I am going to be denied. I'm going to be rejected. I am going to suffer. And if you are going to follow me, then you also need to deny yourself and pick up your cross. So there's a cost involved in both stories before they ascend the mountain. And often when difficulties come just before it, We then go on to have the mountain experience where we encounter God, where he reveals whatever it is that he wants to reveal that we've been experiencing in the difficulties, but there is a cost to following Jesus. And I've been involved with You for Christ, all for a long time, uh, for 30 years, or even before that, I became a Christian through You for Christ, then did two years as an apprentice with You for Christ, and then... Ended up here, so that's a lot, isn't it? So in that time, I've had my own challenges of difficulties, but I would say that the most difficult, most challenging year in my entire ministry was uh, just off the back of COVID, because what happened in COVID was we navigated through fog; we didn't know where we were going. But when we came out of COVID, we had no idea where we were. We just didn't know where we were on the map. The landscape had changed. Things that worked before no longer worked. There was such a shift when it came to financial giving and charities had their backs against the wall and things were suddenly, and and morale was incredibly difficult. And I remember, oh, uh, just uh, about 18 months ago now, having the most difficult uh, day of my life in ministry. In the morning, I gathered the staff and said, we're going to have to make redundancies. There are so many challenges financially that's going on. And in the afternoon, I said goodbye to a director who we'd really depended on, who was leaving, going on to something else. And then I overheard the staff talking about, well, if I'm made redundant, I wonder how much money I'm going to get. <laughs> not a lot is the answer. But uh, there was suddenly morale was not where it needed to be. Things were crumbling. And I remember getting in my car and driving home. I'm praying and saying, God, I think my season has come to an end. I don't think I can continue. I don't think I'm the person you need anymore for this role. It's really, everything's falling to pieces on my shift. You need someone else to come in who's got new energy, can take us to another place. And I drive Uh, into my driveway and I park the car and I pick up my phone and there's a text message from somebody that I know who every now and then tells me, thus saith the Lord. And I get this message saying, uh, I need to talk to you. I've got a really difficult message to give you. It'll be challenging from you that I think God is saying. And I'm like, oh no, not today. I've had a sucking day as it is. I don't want any more challenges than what I've got right now. But this person, this person had had few words in the past. I'll give you an example of one before where I know when they're saying something, I sit up and listen. Because I remember she called me and said, Hey, I've had a dream about two of your staff workers, and one of them is this big bird, and uh, he's running around and he's clipping the wings of all the other birds. I'm like, and she says, I know that's random. I'm like, yep, that is random. But then outside of my office door is that staff worker. She's just dreamt about making bird noises. So at that moment, she has my attention. This situation has my attention. And sure enough, the other person in the dream came forward and said, this person's really clipping my wings. So when I got that text, I'm like, okay. I started to reply saying, no, no, not now. And I thought, okay, well, if God's in it, then there will be hope. There's always hope no matter how difficult things are. And so I phone her and she says, listen, I just can't shake what God is saying. He's telling, I think he's saying this to you, that there are many challenges going on in Youth for Christ. She had no idea what was going on in Youth for Christ. Uh, and you were experiencing crumbling. Well, I'd just been praying about crumbling and, in the car. And he's doing something to get your attention. Yeah, we just said there's going to be redundancies. I've lost a great person. Morale is low. We're struggling in our ministry. Yes, he's got my attention. And this is what he says. If you stop everything you do as a national ministry for 40 days and pray and fast, then you will still experience crumbling, but then the Holy Spirit will move through you for Christ in a way like he's never done before. But if you don't stop, the crumbling will continue at a rate that you cannot cope with. So I put the phone down and called my board chair, who at the time was a man called Ken, a very wise man. Uh, used to be responsible for royal mail. So I took his opinion seriously and said, Ken, what do I do with this? And he goes, well, it's right, isn't it? I'm like, are you, are you for real? I said, Ken, we got festivals in 44 days time. That means in four days time, we got to stop everything. He goes, well, you take it to the leadership team, I'll take it to the board. So I took it to the leadership team, sat down with them. They thought I was totally nuts. Three of them loved the idea. That's because they just thought I was talking about having a rest and hanging your hammock and doing nothing. The other three just didn't like it. The board were asking great questions. Well, how can we trust the source? How do you know it's prophetic? What does this mean? How does this work? Loads of great questions. And I remember Sunday morning thinking, if we're going to do this, it's in two days' time. We have so many commitments for the next 40 days. And I just said, God, I don't think you would ask this of us. I need you to speak to me, not this other person, to me. And then I opened my reading for the day. And the first thing it said is, call your people to pray and fast. And so I'm like, okay, you got my attention now. And I said, if it's of God, then the board will say yes. They said yes following morning, gathered the staff together, said, guys, tomorrow we're stopping for 40 days. We're not doing anything. We're going to pray and listen. You need to tell everyone we've got commitments with. We can't do them. I know that's challenging. Off they went, and lots of people were unhappy with us. But every, every commitment we let down, we were able to find replacements for, which was a miracle in its own right, since the timescale we were dealing with. And then we went into a time, gathered, came together, and we just listened. And we would gather in the morning, and we would pray together and then we'd all go off and do our own things. And we would come back at the end of the day. And we would ask the question, what have you heard, sense, felt, God is saying? And it was always amazing at the end of every single day because it was like a jigsaw piece, a puzzle. Because everyone would, someone would say this and then that and then that. And suddenly it would make a picture. And I'd write it all down. It was amazing how it connected. But there was one thing that came across the, every single day. In one way or another it came out. And it was simply this from Proverbs, where we felt God was saying, I want your heart. Above all else, I want your heart. In all your busyness, in all that you do, I just want your heart. And we're all Christians. We uh, committed to the mission. It seemed a little odd that he kept saying it over and over again. But the truth of the matter is, is that we can be so busy that we crack on without Jesus. We can be so busy doing things in our own lives that yes, we kind of give him lip service, but we go on and do our thing. And he's shouting at us saying or whispering saying, I just want your heart. I want you to come to me and give me your heart. And that went on for 20 days. And we listened and got to that place of recognizing, yeah, we're missing it here. We need to get this right. And God is incredibly gracious, isn't he? Because he pulls us from the difficulties, from the mess we find ourselves in, which we did. And brings us to a mountaintop experience, which he speaks to us. But when you have those moments, you can't help but be changed. And so off the back of that, we started our ministry again. And we noticed there was a change in how we did things. We still had chaos and things were still erratic at times. And I remember one particular project we were doing with our urban team in Birmingham, and they had a a day where they were bringing uh, deprived communities together from all across Birmingham at this big center. And uh, as normal for us at Youth for Christ, we had a technical hitch and nobody nobody was told about it. So we brought in all these celebrities and people to present that day, and no one turned up because no one had been told. And we're like, whoa, this is bad. And Then something odd started to happen. Without any announcement, without us doing anything, young people from the estate who knew nothing about what we were doing started to walk into the building. Now, this was an incredibly challenged community where there had been a shooting the week before. Knife crime was off the charts. And in that room, by the end of the day, in this building, it was absolutely packed with hundreds of people from the estate. Many of them were drug dealers, gang members. It was chaos. And then the poor guy who was going to give a message, which fortunately wasn't me, was not prepared for this audience. And he gets up and the audience, just no one's listening. It's chaos. It's just like being at the zoo. And finally, another Youth for Christ worker from the estate gets up and says, listen, you need to know nobody's fighting for you. Nobody believes you have a future. Nobody's backing you. Your prospects are so low. But in the Bible, it says that God is fighting for you. And he wants you to give him an opportunity. And suddenly there was silence. And she went on and gave a gospel message. No one in that building that day was supposed to be in there. 18 young people gave their lives to Jesus and made a decision to follow him. Because the spirit of God was at work. You see, we can be really busy doing all sorts of things. But if we're not connected to Jesus, then it will come to nothing. And we can have chaos and things go crazy bad. But when we're connected to Jesus, remarkable things come from it. And so, the other thing we found as we went on in our experience of these 20 days was that, or, or the following 20 days, God started to speak to us about how we needed to reposition ourselves. Because we were asking two big questions Where are we strongest as youth for Christ? And where are young people's lives most likely to be changed? And the answer we got in both contexts was local. It was with our local centers, 60 of them across the country. And it's through local connections and relationships that lives are changed. For years, 75 years, we've been running around filling events, going into difficult communities with real challenges, sharing Jesus, seeing people come to know Jesus, and then moving on. But we felt God was saying, no, you need to totally reposter yourself not only serve the centers, but do all you can to empower the local church in this nation. And reposition yourself in such a way that you will bring, through empowerment, transformation. Now, what happened on the, mountain stop, on the mountaintop is that God spoke to each Moses and Jesus. And the thing that he said to the disciples who were watching what was going on was this, this is my son, listen to him. And I think we miss that easily, don't we? We get caught up in the, everything else going on. But it's so much easier for us to ask things of God. It's so much easier for us to bring our list to Him when actually what He's saying is, I want you just to listen to me because there are things that I want to say to you. There are things that are so key that you hear from me. Spend time absorbed in my presence and just listen to what I have to say to you. You're busy. Lots are going on. Give me your heart and let me speak to you. So on a certain TV program where the audience gets to ask politicians particular questions, uh, we all know the show. Uh, one, one show recently, uh, an audience member asked and said, what, what is the solution to deal with the problems of young people today? And this isn't a political answer because they all answered the same way. Every single one of them, without failure, all said the same thing. And they all said the answer to the problems of dealing with young people today is to increase community policing. Now, I think the police force in this nation are incredible. I genuinely do, and we have an incredible relationship with them. But I don't think that's the right answer. And the reason I don't think that's the right answer is because in the last three years, there's been a 50% increase On mental health challenges with young people. If you're a teacher here today, that's one in five young people in your classroom has a significant mental health challenge. You don't need me to tell you that. You will know that instantly. Uh, The average young person spends nine hours, 48 minutes in front of a screen every day. Now, screens are neutral, though they do give off something, but generally speaking, they're neutral. It's what they're watching and absorbing that will have the impact. Around 3 million young people in this nation live in poverty. A number of the young people we work with will commit crimes for the single purpose of being able to eat. One in 10 young people between the ages of 11 through to 18 is not in education, employment, or training. They're simply walking the streets. And so with all due respect, politicians, the answer to the problem of young people in this nation is not more police The answer has to be a gospel of hope. And what do I mean by that? Well, the youth services in this nation is on its knees, nearly bankrupt. The greatest provider of youth work in this nation is the local church. Now, while we may want to stop for a moment and celebrate that, we also need to recognize that only 8% of young people in Britain view the church positively. Only 8%. And so if the church is the greatest provider of youth work, but only 8% view it positively, it's no wonder that the church is losing confidence in understanding how to reach and relate to young people. And we have a crisis on our our own steps of what do we do with unchurched young people in our society and how do we address that and how do we go about it? Well, I'd love to tell you about one of our centers and I could tell you about each and every one of them, but I'm just going to choose one. Dorset Youth for Christ. They run a whole load of after-school clubs, and uh, one of the clubs was a cooking club, and uh, it had uh, 20 young people at it, and then it grew to 40, then 60, then 80, then 100, and 120. Aaron, who's the center director, visits the cooking club because he's no idea why it's growing so much, and he asked the Youth for Christ leader, what's going on? Why so many people, just as many boys and girls? And she said, well, go around and ask. And so he went around and asked, and he said, why are you here? And the answer was the same, because it's the only time we're guaranteed food. The food we cook is the only time in our week that we're guaranteed it. This is in Britain. This isn't another country. This is in our own country, on our own doorstep. And so he was so moved by this that he goes to the local authorities and he says, this isn't okay. He goes to the churches and says, this isn't okay. So if you go to that cooking club now, When you walk in there, you'll be given a hot dog or pizza, something totally unhealthy. I'm not sure that's okay, but at least he's giving them something. And then they'll cook food, which will be worse than what they've just been given. And then, when they're leaving, every single one of them, without failure, will be given a box. And in that box is enough food to feed their family and themselves for the week ahead. Aaron's driving his car, and as he's driving around, he sees a whole lot of young people, a disproportionate number of young people walking the streets. He goes to the local authorities and says, why are there so many young people out of school? And the local authorities says, we can't control it. We're, we just got no answers to this. So he says, listen, I work for Youth for Christ, and we run something called My Life, which takes young people who are at risk and have no qualifications and not in education, and we put them through a, 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 a life skill course, but it's accredited with OCR, so they get a formal qualification. You give me young people, and I'll give them an education. So they give them 80 And just last month, we sent back 80 certificates for 80 young people who were walking the streets before this. You see, while Youth for Christ is evangelistic, while we believe that Jesus is the answer, if you're hungry, or you're cold, or you have low prospects, before we can tell you about Jesus, we need to show you Jesus. And we can only do that really effectively in our local context. And if we are to make a difference in our community then we have to demonstrate Jesus wherever we go. We have to recognize as we come down from the mountain into the chaos, if we are connected to Jesus, if we have listened to him, then we bring something with us. And I believe that God is calling each and every one of us here and this very church and the church in this community to bring light into darkness. And when I was a youth pastor here and also the director of Greenwich Youth for Christ, I was aware of deprivation outside of this area. And we started something called Night Stop, which took homeless young people just around this area, of which there were many, all hiding in plain sight. And we would give them a bed for the night and get them into the system. But it wasn't, that wasn't the greatest level of poverty I saw when I was here. The greatest level of poverty I saw was spiritual poverty connected to affluence. And we have young people who were caught up in that who think they need nothing in life because they've got everything. And it's simply a lie. Jesus brings life in all its fullness. And our role is to show Jesus and to share Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much that you love us. I thank you, Lord God, that you call us to connect with you. And Lord God, in the busyness of life, in the difficulties of life, when things are chaotic, you call us to come to you. And Lord God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? And would you give us hearts that we can open entirely to you? Lord, through that connection, through hearing your voice and doing what you're asking us to do, may we be obedient and see your power at work in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen.